quiet inlet of the Bosporus, war fleets and merchantmen might find a haven from attack or storm. The Greeks called the inlet Keras, horn, possibly from its shape. Golden was later added to suggest the wealth brought to this port in fish and grain and trade. Here, amid a population predominantly Christian and long inured to Oriental monarchy and pomp, the Christian emperor might enjoy the public support withheld by Rome's proud senate and pagan populace. For a thousand years the Roman Empire would here survive the barbarian floods that were to inundate Rome. Goths, Huns, Vandals, Avars, Persians, Arabs, Bulgarians, Russians would threaten the new capital in turn and fail. Only once in that millennium would Constantinople be captured— by Christian crusaders loving gold a little better than the cross. For eight centuries after Mohammed, it would hold back the Moslem tide that would sweep over Asia, Africa, and Spain. Here, beyond all expectation, Greek civilization would display a saving continuity, tenaciously preserve its ancient treasures, and transmit them at last to Renaissance Italy and the Western world. In November 324, Constantine the Great led his aides, engineers, and priests from the harbor of Byzantium across the surrounding hills to trace the boundaries of his contemplated capital. Some marveled that he took in so much, but I shall advance, he said, till he, the invisible God who marches before me, thinks proper to stop. He left no deed undone, no word unsaid, that could give to his plan, as to his state, a deep support in the religious sentiments of the people and in the loyalty of the Christian church. In obedience to the command of God, he brought in thousands of workmen and artists to raise city walls, fortifications, administrative buildings, palaces, and homes. He adorned the squares and streets with fountains and porticos, and with famous sculptures conscripted impartially from a hundred cities in his realm. And to divert the turbulence of the populace, he provided an ornate and spacious hippodrome where the public passion for games and gambling might vent itself on a scale paralleled only in degenerating Rome. The new Rome was dedicated as capital of the Eastern Empire on May 11, 330 a day that was thereafter annually celebrated with imposing ceremony. Paganism was officially ended. The Middle Ages of triumphant faith were, so to speak, officially begun. The East had won its spiritual battle against the physically victorious West and would rule the Western soul for a thousand years. Within two centuries of its establishment as a capital, Constantinople became, and for ten centuries remained, the richest, most beautiful, and most civilized city in the world. In 337 it contained some 50,000 people, in 400 some 100,000, in 500 almost a million. An official document, circa 450, lists five imperial palaces, six palaces for the ladies of the court, three for high dignitaries, 4,388 mansions, 322 streets, 52 porticos. Add to these a thousand shops, a hundred places of amusement,
sumptuous baths, brilliantly ornamented churches, and magnificent squares that were veritable museums of the art of the classic world. On the second of the hills that lifted the city above its encompassing waters lay the Forum of Constantine, an elliptical space entered under a triumphal arch at either end. Porticos and statuaries formed its circumference. On the north side stood a stately senate house. At the center rose a famous porphyry pillar, a hundred twenty feet high, crowned with the figure of Apollo, and ascribed to Phidias himself. From the forum, a broad mese or middle way, lined with palaces and shops and shaded with colonnades, led westward through the city to the Augustium, a plaza a thousand by three hundred feet, named after Constantine's mother, Helena, as Augusta. At the north end of this square rose the first form of St. Sophia, Church of the Holy Wisdom. On the east side was a second...